In today's episode, we move into chapter 7 of the Gospel of Mark, the first 23 verses. Tensions erupt as Jesus faces criticism from the Pharisees about his disciples' failure to observe ritual hand-washing before meals. When questioned, Jesus boldly accuses these religious leaders of rank hypocrisy and misplaced priorities. He teaches that external rituals cannot make one spiritually clean. Rather, it is the evil desires and intentions that emerge from within that defile a person. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Thursday, November 2nd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. My guest for this morning to help us open up Mark chapter 7 is the Reverend Christopher Craig. He's the pastor of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Sylvan Grove, Kansas. Good morning, Pastor Craig, and welcome back to the program. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Always great to have you on. I'm excited. We're getting into Mark. You know, I like Mark. I have to admit, it's probably not my favorite gospel if I had to pick one. I think my favorite might be John, to be honest. But Mark is especially unique because it is really rapid fire. We just have like one event in Jesus's life after the other, after the other. Do you think that Mark is a good place for new Christians to start, or do you usually have a preference for another gospel for new Christians? Um, I would usually, pro- Mark would be one of them, and part of it is because of that. Like you said, it, it's just, it's telling the story, and it's telling it pretty quickly. It's it's not necessarily, um, you know, trying to to give big, long diatribes. It's like, this is Jesus. Um right. So I, I would normally go with either uh, Mark or Matthew if I was going to pick, probably. Although I, I would have to agree with you that John is probably my favorite. Yeah, John's my favorite. But, you know, I do think it takes a little bit of more, I guess, maturity, uh, spiritual maturity, of course, to read John because it's out of chronological order. It's thematic. Mm-hmm. It has uh, great irony in it that you can mm-hmm. miss if you're not really well versed in the scriptures. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think that the early church put Matthew first. Because, well, it's connection to Matthew, naturally. It's a, uh, an apostle. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it, uh, you know, it starts with the, with the nativity and kind of goes through the end. That also helps. But Mark comes in second probably because of its, um, its association with Peter a little bit, but mm-hmm. also just because of the reasons we've been talking about. Well, we're about seven chapters in now, so we'll see. But we have a, the reason I bring it up is because we're actually slowing down today. Our previous episodes have been like one miracle after another, one teaching after <laughs> another. We slow down just a little bit today to see this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And so uh, before we dive in, would you please start our time together off in prayer? Sure, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. Uh, we thank you most especially today for the truths that your son has revealed for us, the truth of really just how fallen we are, just how defiled we are, but also, Lord, the wonderful truth of the fact that this is why Jesus came. This is why he needed to come down and be with us, because we needed someone who is able to purify us, not just on the outside, but on the inside as well. And we thank you, Lord, that that is what your son has done. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
All right, well, let's just dive into the text. I'm going to start with chapter 7, verse 1. I'll be reading, as always, from the English Standard Version. Mm -hmm. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. In parentheses, it says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Close parentheses. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave, Jesus says, the commandment of God, and hold fast to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. All right, stopping there at the end of 13. Okay. So really, there's two big things from here, and a lot of little things. The, the big one, of course, we want to talk about is this idea that they have their own traditions, and some of them evidently are around this idea of ablution, that is washing their hands, baptizing their hands, I'm sure we'll mm -hmm. talk about. And then the second thing is Jesus uses another example from the, uh, from the fourth commandment, and we'll get into that pretty soon. But let's just start at the top. So Pharisees, these scribes, here they are. They're, they're coming to Jesus, and they're upset because, well, why, brother? Why are they so upset? Yeah, so, so they're upset um, mostly because uh, the disciples of Jesus are not washing their hands properly uh, before, they, before they eat, right? And, and in some ways, we would probably hear that, and if you don't know what's going on, be like, okay. Yeah, it's so good to wash your hands. Yeah, like it, it is good to wash your hands, but seems maybe a bit extreme to try and make a big deal about it. Um, uh, just slight side note, I do think it's interesting that they don't accuse Jesus of this. They accuse his disciples of this, um, hmm. which has some interesting implications, I think. Uh, but maybe we should start with, you know, what exactly is going on here with with this tradition that they've got passed down? And, and I do think it's probably important to note, because I think this informs us as well, that, you know, the way this started, if you think about all the way back when the Jews came back from the exile, right, um, they actually kind of learned their lesson a little bit. Um, they, they kind of learned, hey, we should actually believe this God <laughs> who has chosen us, and maybe we should try to follow his commandments. Um, and so in doing that, what ends up developing over time, and I'm doing broad swaths, at least as I understand how things worked, um, is that what the, what the elders did and what the, the kind of first Pharisees and, and other teachers of the law were trying to do is they said, okay, here's the law that God has handed down to us, 
And so what we're going to do is we want to make sure that nobody breaks that law. And so what we're going to do is as a sort of like fence around that law, we're going to make like other laws so that nobody comes even close to breaking the actual law um, because they're just trying to fulfill these other ones. And in some ways we can sort of recognize that that's, I mean, that's well-intentioned at the very least. Um, they're, they're trying to help people. They're actually trying to do their job. They're trying to be good speakers of the law, teachers of the law, and try to help people follow this. But what ends up happening is time keeps on going on. Um, and this becomes very clear with the fourth commandment, which we'll get to here later, um, is that it warps into them no longer really doing this out of a care for God's law, but beginning to essentially teach their law, the things that they made up, teaching those those fences, those traditions, as if they were the word of God, even to the point where they really don't even care when people break the actual law anymore. They care about when people break the traditions. Um, and well, so that's the, what, yeah. yeah I was just going to say, I want to jump in there. Let's, let's get this out of the way. Traditions, even man-made traditions, aren't inherently bad. Right. And, and I think that, uh, you know, of course, especially as we as LCMS Lutherans, we follow a lot of man-made traditions. Mm -hmm. Traditions uh, can serve the gospel, can point to Christ, can help disciple the Christian. Um, so it's not that they made up these laws that they called for people to follow so they could emphasize the 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 law of God. And I think that's so interesting how you point that out because they did. They really went from a position where they didn't really care about keeping the law of God rightly or they would in spurts and quickly die out to, and I never thought of it this way until you brought it up, until now and they're like, we're going to follow the, God, the law of God so much it's going to be super strict. Mm -hmm. So I think, but at the same time, I'm, I'm thinking some of my own practices. It's mm -hmm. one thing to say we should respect the elements through which Christ comes to us in the vessels. So we want to be very respectful of, say, the communion vessels and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's quite another thing to make people's salvation dependent upon their their piety. <laughs> to, you know, mm -hmm. how you, you, you have to genuflect at the altar. You have to, you know, ceremonially wash the dishes or something. Those things right. might be good for teaching proper reverence but mm -hmm. they certainly aren't salvific and I, that's where they erred right they just went, yeah. went too far yeah absolutely and i think you did a good job of bringing that into this is this is why it informs us because uh like you say especially as missouri synod lutherans we have a lot of traditions and they're they're really good for the most part but we do have to be careful that we don't start erring in the way that the pharisees were erring and starting to say that oh yeah if you don't do this then you're you're no longer a Christian or or anything like that. Like we got to be really careful about that because this is a pretty easy trap to fall into sometimes. Oh, absolutely. And and so they looked at them and they said, okay, well your disciples aren't washing in this prescribed manner. I correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we really have any specific, at least from the scriptures, we don't have any specific description of what they were supposed to be doing. But, yeah, not but, not that yeah, I saw ahead. anyways. I, I I really briefly went back to uh, Leviticus and, and checked on some of the cleanliness stuff because that's what a lot of this is about. And I did not I don't remember seeing anything about the uh, the hand washing aspect necessarily or the particular rituals. There's a lot of other specifics, but I don't remember seeing anything about that. 
Yeah, I, and so so there, and it says in verse uh, verse four, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as mm -hmm. the washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. Well, mm -hmm. throwing you right onto the spot. What does that have to do with baptism? Because it does, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, so, not specifically, but we use this in our defense of baptism. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so probably the, the biggest thing just to recognize is that the actual word washing there is the word baptism. Um, like it's, it's literally the Greek word baptism. <laughs> and so, so clearly there, there's something going on there. Um, and, uh, Probably where I would go with it as as far as a a defense of baptism would go, um, would would just be to recognize that, um, you know, we we believe that baptism is a washing that it like actually washes us clean. Um, that that that's kind of one of the primary image images of baptism, obviously with the water, um, and also then that this would not have been a completely foreign idea to the Jews, like. They had an idea of what it means to be baptized or for something to be baptized. And so, you know, when John, the baptizer or the Baptist comes and he starts talking about it, it's not like the Jews, it's not like he was coming out of nowhere. Like they would have had an idea. Well, and I also want to say now our, so baptizo, which is the Greek word there, uh, my, my Baptist friends and my previous upbringing would tell me that that just doesn't mean washing. It means full immersion. It means to immerse. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess that makes sense for cups and pots and copper vessels, but are they dragging the dining couches down to the Jordan? What? Yeah, yeah so sure, I, sure. I think there's also some indication here that, you know, baptizo means to wash, to um, to have this ablution, to have this cleansing. Mm -hmm. and, you're, and you're absolutely right. I mean, they, they, the idea of washing your pots and vessels cleaning your couches and washing your hands is not a, uh, is not a bad thing, practically speaking. Mm. And, and even ceremonial or ritually speaking, as you made this very well clear, it, it points to this, this ceremonial or, or in the case of baptism and a, a, a real life, uh, a washing away of sins by God. And, and so this isn't foreign to them, this idea of cleansing rituals. Mm -hmm. Um, but Jesus, when he quotes Isaiah, and, you know, especially Mark's Jesus, and I don't mean to say that he's any different than any of the other disciples, but the way in which Mark depicts Jesus, mm -hmm. he, he, he really reveals him to be, and I don't mean this in a sinful way, obviously, because our Lord is sinless, but impatient with, yeah. with these, with these uh, hypocrites. And I love him. Well, Isaiah, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, he says. Mm -hmm. And then he takes us to that text. Um, why are they hypocrites? Yeah, well, they're they're hypocrites because they they are teaching these commands. They're te well, their traditions, I should say. They're teaching their traditions, and they're following, and they're teaching other people to follow them, right? And kind of going after them if they don't. Um, but at the same time, they're teaching people to literally break the fourth commandment. And it's like, well, hang on a second. You, you're teaching as the doctrine of God, the doctrines of man, and you're just going to tell people that they can break the fourth commandment. Like that's, that's pretty, pretty big deal. And, and so I think it makes sense that Jesus is getting a little bit impatient with them. And, and I, I love the context of, of the, 
quote here that Jesus uses, because this is not a, a thing that you want to say or that you want God to say you're fulfilling. Because the very next verse starts talking about and like using the same language as like the plagues of Egypt. <laughs> mm, yeah, so no, 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 right. You gotta be a little bit careful with those ones. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't want to uh and you know, reflecting on what you said at the beginning. It, it's almost as if it's like, while I acknowledge that you've been trying to, or, or historically, I guess, you were trying to make people uh, more faithful to God, now you've fallen into the same trap that caused the plagues to come upon the Egyptians. They worship the creation rather than the creator, or they worship the doctrine rather than the, the one mm-hmm. who, is, uh, who is God. Yeah. And he uses the fourth commandment also— I think it's interesting because, as we confess, the fourth commandment isn't really just about moms and dads, but those who are in authority over you, they are in positions of authority. And so they're breaking the fourth commandment not by not submitting to authority, although I guess that's true the authority of God, but they're, they are leaders who are breaking the fourth commandment by not leading people faithfully or properly. Yeah, sure. They're, they're misusing their authority. Um which, yeah, I would agree, is, is just as much breaking the fourth commandment in and of itself. But I will have to say, Jesus' example, while it makes sense, can be a little confusing. So I want to yeah. reread it, verse 11. Yep. So he quotes the fourth commandment, and he says, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die, right? That's a very evil consequence, right? But you say, and then this is what Jesus says that they're hypocritical for. Mm-hmm. If a man tells his father or his mother... Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban or Corban, that is given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And then, of course, there's other things you do too, he says. Uh, Corban, it's it's borrowing from the Hebrew, but uh, what is that? Yeah, so... The the little bit of research I was able to do in this, it it basically is sort of just like a a a kind of I don't necessarily want to say general, but it, it's more than like a specific thing necessarily. It's it's the offerings that you give to the temple, um, or at least as far as kind of I I was looking at it. Um, so as as I understand what they were doing here, um, may, maybe a, a little bit of, of a metaphor might would be helpful. So imagine sort of that you are. Uh, as an adult and, and your parents are getting a little bit older and so they need to go into a rest home or or something like that and you got to pay to go into a rest home and so you're paying for that you're supporting your your parents like you should um, if, if they need that and so that would be following the fourth commandment rightly but then you had a pastor come in and say well tell you what you instead of supporting your parents in the nursing home can stop doing that and can instead go ahead and give money to the church. And that might actually even be better if you do that. And just don't worry about your parents. They'll be fine. Like that, <laughs> as I understand it, that's kind of I, what the Pharisees were doing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Put it, putting it even more in our context, um, just the other day, I had a parishioner, and she's such a wonderful woman, and her and she listens all the time, and that's not why I'm saying that. But anyway, her um, her beloved husband is in the nursing home. And um, it's expensive being in the nursing mm-hmm. home. It is. And so we got a, a letter or something like that from uh, Medicaid, Medicare. I, I'm not really savvy on that, but whoever's helping them pay for it. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to know her giving to the church. 
And Uh what they wanted to know is to make sure that she didn't just dump a bunch of money into the church to qualify. Okay. Uh, And so we had to report that basically her giving was normal, et cetera, et cetera, which I'm not 100% sure is any of their business, but that's a different conversation for a different time. (laughs) But the point is that that seems like it's a similar thing. It's like, well, I want to get somebody else to pay for it, so I'm going to take my money and and give it to the church. I think Mm -hmm. another caveat would be if we look at it as Corban is, if we look at it as not just the money that they give, but maybe the money they've set aside to give, sure. then it, it also can be hypocritical in this sense. So uh, using the same thing, well, you want to take care of, of your parents or some, you know, your parents need something from you and you have the cash to help, but you say, well, I've set this aside to give to God charity. I've set it aside for X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. you never use it for that purpose. So right. I almost wonder if there was something in the practice where they could say, all right, this amount of my income is dedicated to God and godly purposes, mm-hmm. but then it's sort of on the honor system if they ever use it for that. So people would get out of having to pay debts or help their parents just by saying, oh, I can't, even though I have the money because that's I've dedicated that to God. I, I think that's right. probably another aspect too. Yeah, it, it certainly could be. Um, and, and I think probably another thing that we need to kind of keep in mind here is to remember that that this is, so the Pharisees and and I think it was the scribes or, yeah, the Pharisees and the scribes are the one who have who are having these issues, right? And the Pharisees and the scribes are the ones who would directly benefit from this, right? Like this is, right. this is pretty greedy on their part. And it's sort of like, pretty obviously greedy when you look at it. And so, again, I think that informs why Jesus is kind of like, you're, you're really going to come after my disciples for this? Okay, let's let's talk about what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, doesn't Jesus say, judge not lest ye be judged because the same measure will be used to judge you. And that's yeah. that's what's happening here. You know, it, it's not as though the Pharisees did not, uh, or sorry, it's not as though they didn't have the vocation to call out sin in other people's lives or to teach them the ways of God or to redirect people, but mm-hmm. they shouldn't be doing those things if they themselves are complete hypocrites. And obviously Jesus points that out. Mm-hmm. Well, we looking at this text then just overall, as we get closer and closer to the break, um, the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. You mentioned it earlier a little bit, but God did tell them um, to make distinctions between clean, clean things and unclean things, and there were okay. rituals. So these specific rituals aren't in there, but, you know, why—what am I trying to say? <laughs> How can we see—I um, don't want to say changing because Jesus is fulfilling the law. He doesn't change the law. But the ceremonial law does pass away with the coming of Christ who fulfills it. So that's not, though, what's going on here. It's not as though they're following the laws of God and Jesus is saying, you don't have to do that anymore. Jesus is not speaking broad cloth against, you know, ceremonies and traditions and rites. And the reason why I have to bring that up is because there are so many people who say that, you know, well, if it's not in the Bible, then we shouldn't do it at all. So that throws out... So many things that we do to honor God, even though they are traditions of men. Sure. Yeah, I think um, probably the way that I might would try to describe it is is that it's not that Jesus is just throwing out what he taught, right, to Moses, who who then gave it to 
uh, the, the people of Israel. It's more like he's correcting a misunderstanding, I think. And I think that becomes a lot more clear uh, when he talks later about what it is that's actually defiling a, perf- a person, right? Um, and it, it's almost that they're getting, they're getting things mixed up. Um, they, they don't really understand that it's, it's not what you're doing outside that's defiling you, right? It's not, it's not you washing your hands that, that's making you unclean. It's not, it's not what you eat that's making you unclean. Um, he had all those commands. And, and in some ways, I think those commands are, are simply there just to help them to realize un- how unclean they are, right? That, that's, that's the second use of the law, right? Um, is exactly. to show them their sin, that, that they can't do this. But Jesus is going to teach here and show us very clearly that, you know, our uncleanness ultimately isn't a, an external problem, it's an internal problem. And I think the Pharisees might have just misunderstood that, as well as the many of the Jews at the time, that that they they didn't realize that. And and maybe in some ways we can sort of understand why that is. Um, but yeah, I think that, again, it he's trying to correct them. He's trying to help them to understand where uncleanness, where defilement actually comes from rather than try and so in some ways rather than trying to sort of take care of the symptoms or or handle external uncleanness stuff jesus is going to go right to the real issue i um i before we head to the break i want to bring up something you said at the very beginning and that is you mentioned that they say this about jesus's disciples but they don't say it about jesus uh, i yeah. know i'm i know i'm calling you to speculate but yeah. Uh, and a lot of my guests don't like that. They're like, well, that'd be speculating. Well, no, that's what we do on the show. We speculate hey. sometimes. So <laughs> so why do you think that is? Is well, uh, I just ask, why do you think? Yeah, so um, so I, I am speculating, and, and I'll be very clear that that is what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I think you LCMS Jesus, pastors. <laughs> I know, yes, we know, right? We know, we know. It's fun, though, and you just got to be careful and make sure that's clear what you're doing. Um, so I, I, do think, I do think that Jesus very well may have actually been following the tradition of the elders. Um, I'd wonder if that was your thoughts. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, and so I I think that he actually was doing this and then that, again, that kind of brings into a whole lot of other things that I don't know that we want to go too deep into it, but basically my thought on that and why that my reasoning would be that, well, if the Pharisees could have gone after Jesus for this, I think they would have. Um, and so the fact that they're only going after his disciples rather than going after him for it makes me think that they couldn't because he probably was doing it. I agree with you like wholeheartedly. And and someone might ask, and again, as you said, this is speculation. Mm-hmm. We always have to put that caveat out there. But mm-hmm. I, I think that your your logical evidence makes sense because they're always looking to trip Jesus up. Yeah. And so someone might ask, well, if it was so wrong to do, then why did Jesus do it if he were? If he were? And, and I think my response would be, just what you said earlier. Jesus is there to get to the the main issue of things. He's mm-hmm. not there to cause a bunch of disruptions and then distract from the main message. Mm-hmm. And keeping the traditions of men is not the problem. And I just want to emphasize that again. It's right. putting the traditions of men over and against the word of God. And mm-hmm. while cleanliness and unclean things and clean things are a, are a reality, we're going to see in the next section, as you said earlier, exactly what Jesus is getting at. But we will have to wait till after the break. So folks, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Craig and I will keep on going with Mark chapter 7. See you on the other side.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host, and with me this morning is the Reverend Christopher Craig. He's the pastor of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Sylvan Grove, Kansas, and this is Thy Strong Word. Now, if you have any feedback or questions or perspectives to share on what we're talking about here in Mark, don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can reach me via email at pastorboo at gmail.com. Be sure to spell it right, P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. You can also search for Phil Boo on Facebook. You'll find me. And uh, let's get back to the the text, though, because that's why you're here. Now, Pastor, before the break, we were talking about how God does make a distinction, and he calls his people to see that distinction between clean and unclean things in his Old Testament law, Leviticus and elsewhere. Well, in this next section, I think we're going to see why the Pharisees' uh, pharisaical <laughs> adherence to, to sort of man-made interpretations of this clean and unclean distinction gets in the way of them showing love and mercy, and that's certainly what God wants people to do. So I'm going to start with verse 14, read through 23, which is our, uh, the rest of our text for this morning. Here we go. And Jesus called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared, All foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They defile a person. Okay, so if anybody in the audience started getting really comfortable accusing the Pharisees of their hypocrisy, Jesus uh, certainly (laughs) leaves us with a lot to think about there in that big list of things I'm sure we can find ourselves in somewhere. But before we get to that, he he talks to them, he he goes uh, to the crowds, and he, he calls all the crowds together, and he basically teaches them in greater detail the point he was trying to make with the Pharisees. Hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside of a person that can defile him by going into him. It's what's already within you. Uh, break that down for us. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it, essentially, this this is Jesus teaching the doctrine of original sin, um, which is that our, our sin, our problem, our uncleanness or our defilement 
to use the the phrases that Jesus is using here, is not some kind of external thing that has kind of come in from the outside to get us. It's it's something that has been uh, inherited, is, is I think probably a pretty good word here. It's something that has been inherited in all human beings, with the exception of Jesus, um, since Adam and Eve, since, since they ate the forbidden fruit. And that it is there that that's the source of all of our sin. It's it's not as if um, it's not as if the the uncleanness is an external issue that's kind of trying to invade you. It's it's much more, especially now that we are Christians, now that we believe, now that we've been converted and baptized, as we were talking about. It's much more like we've got this civil war that's going on inside of us, um, and and that that's where all of the evil comes from is, is the sin that's in our heart. Um, and, and so it, as far as uncleanness and defilement and stuff like goes, Jesus, Jesus is basically saying, guys, don't worry about, or at least don't stress too much about how you're washing your hands before you're eating, at least as far as spiritual uncleanness goes. Worry about that long list that he's got there. Worry about all of these things that are coming out of you. Uh, that's your real problem. I think of Luther, who, um, especially during his monastery days, really endured a lot of punishment, self-flagellation, and all kinds of other issues, you know, other ways to try to discipline his body. Mm-hmm. And many of them to his, you know, to you know, really hurt his health in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, yep. But really, Jesus is here saying, thousands of years before or thousands of years before uh, Luther was around, he's saying, listen, it's not about that. Not that, you know, let, let's use it some modern terms, not that doing pietistic practices, and I mean piety in a good way, or doing, um, um, you know, exercising, take care, taking care of yourself, disciplining yourself, fasting, those things are good, mm-hmm. but they don't make any sense if you concentrate all your effort on doing these things and yet still, without remorse, go around and commit all of those things in that big long list he gave. And mm-hmm. I think Luther comes to that realization that he's not going to save himself by beating himself. He's going to save uh, – he can't save himself at all. In fact, that mm-hmm. you know that, that the problem is within, not outside. Mm-hmm. And while I don't think Jesus is specifically talking about this, it also reminds me of this – people like to blame the devil for a lot of things. Oh yeah, they like sure. to say, you know, the devil tempted me. Devil made me do it. One of his yeah. minions tempted me, and trust me, folks, that happens. I'm not saying it doesn't, but I often remind people, including myself, that we have enough sinfulness within ourselves, our concupiscence, that we really don't need the devil's help to mess up. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's another thing Jesus is pointing out here. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I I'm always super wary when somebody says to me, "Oh, the devil made me do it." Um, and, and part of the reason for that is because I don't know that we have a lot of scriptural support for it unless he's fully possessed you or something like that. In which case, like, I don't even know that that would really, the blame would fall on you necessarily for that. Sure. Like, I don't think we have a lot of support for the idea that the devil can actually make you do anything. He can tempt you. Absolutely. And he does. Um, but as far as like him be, being able to sort of enforce his will upon ours, I don't know that we have much in the way of scriptural support for that being possible. Well, if I can be a little philosophical for a second, I would say that the, 
the devil, demons, whatever, which I do believe try to influence people, mm-hmm. I think uh, the devil really can only convince you to do that which your heart already wants to do. Mm-hmm. And and again, that really plays into what Jesus is saying here. You know, he doesn't have to take over you and force you to do something. Our own sinfulness uh, desires to rebel against God, and so yeah. we're thankful that the Holy Spirit is with us. But, you know, he says, Jesus here, he says, then you are, uh, sorry, he, he criticizes or, or chastises, a better word, his disciples. Are you also without understanding? Don't yeah. you see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach? And the Greek is a little bit more colorful. It says, and then goes out into the latrine. Yeah. Now, why they just shortened it to expelled, I don't know. Just write what the Bible says. But anyway, nah, uh, it goes out into the latrine. But then Matthew pops in here with an interpretation of Jesus's words. And of course, if this weren't inspired by the Holy Spirit, it would be interesting. But being inspired by the Holy Spirit, we take extra notice. Apparently, Matthew reveals here that this part of this anyway, even though that's not really what he's talking about, but part of this is about Jesus declaring all foods clean. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, um, well, Mark is the one who's saying it. Um, what did I say? It, Matthew, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Mark. Well, and, and I... The reason I think that's particularly important in this case is because of Mark's connection to Peter, right? Mm, um, oh yeah, yeah. And so, and Peter had to had to uh, be informed quite clearly about this. <laughs> um, and so, I I do think that 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 is a an important thing for us to kind of recognize here that in some ways this is. Um, so if if the listeners aren't familiar, um, so I don't know that we can be super sure about this, but tradition. Uh, tells us that uh, Mark's gospel was uh, quite possibly heavily influenced by Peter, that Mark was uh, maybe even sort of like writing Peter's gospel in a sense. Um, he, he certainly was there with Peter. It seems to be what we learn there. Uh, and so with that, remembering that Peter uh, had some issues with this in the book of Acts, um, that he he really had some issues with this unclean food and whether or not it was okay to eat and things like that to the point where God actually sends him a specific vision and you know it, it if I remember the the vision correctly uh, God lowers down this sheet that's full of all of the unclean animals and he looks at Peter and says eat them right so it, it kind of being pretty clear which is funny because that's how Jesus uh, usually is with Peter that's right um, rise and, and so eat. I, yeah. And so I think here, this this might be Peter, uh, in a sense, at least through Mark, making it clear that, yeah, no, that vision was true. Uh, in a sense, it's him showing his repentance for, for some of his earlier uh, issues um, and, and, and recognizing that, right? And, which it shouldn't hopefully be all that surprising to us that, you know, even, even after Pentecost, you know, uh, all of the apostles were still sinners. They all still make mistakes, and sometimes they need to be reminded of what Jesus said sometimes. I imagine Peter sort of in the background as Mark is writing these things down, and Peter's like, hey, did you put in the thing about the foods being all cl-? Yes, Peter, I did, I did. Here, I'll, <laughs> I'll put it in again. Yes, thus he declared all foods clean. Okay, good, good. Yeah, that might have been a particular interest for Peter because of that experience. And yes, and we've discussed it on this show too, the— uh, Petrine connection, as we call it. You know, Peter is very possibly writing this through Mark, or at the very least, highly influencing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just as we see here that he puts this parenthetical interpretation, 
Um, and, and it makes sense too, because Jesus literally talks about something going in, eating and being expelled into the latrine. So mm -hmm. he, he's obviously talking about foods, mm -hmm. but then he shifts to something more spiritual. What yeah. comes out of a person is what defiles him. And this isn't physicality. This is mm -hmm. obviously from the heart. And he says from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual normality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. This is one of those sections where, you know, if you're feeling like you're superior, <laughs> mm. this is just like Paul does a lot. It has so many, it has so many broad uh, terms here that really you can find yourself in this list. If you examine your heart, you're going to know you're going to fall somewhere in here, especially if you consider your sins according to the Ten Commandments, much of which are covered here. You know, you can say, wow, here I was, you know, joining with Jesus, accusing the Pharisees of being hypocrites. But really, only Jesus gets away with that because in many ways, I'm hypocritical, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I always try to when we kind of gang up on the Pharisees. I always try to remind people that, you know, most of the circles that we tend to travel in as pastors, especially with our congregations and, and other Christians and things like that, like most of those types of circles, if you were kind of to try and transpose them back into Jesus's time and, and talk about like, hey, who would these kind of most line up with? The reality is we're probably closest to the Pharisees. Like they were sort of the religious people. They were the spiritual people. And so we got to be really careful about pointing at the Pharisees and saying, oh, look how bad they were, because they fall into the same traps that we usually fall into. Um, and so we do got to be pretty careful about that. And certainly that I would say that often falls under that pride stuff there, right, in, in that list. Um, so, you know, even if we're not kind of just blatantly breaking the Ten Commandments, um, it, we do tend to struggle with pride. Um, and that's something we got to be careful with. You bring up a good point about the Pharisees. And, and I also try to remind my folks in many ways, especially among the Jewish factions, the Pharisees were, they were the good guys. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they were very strict, but they also, um, obeyed the law. They held the God's word in high esteem. Um, mm -hmm. whereas the Sadducees, they only held the first five books uh, the mm -hmm. rest of it were very optional to say the least. They didn't believe yeah. in things like the resurrection, which most people know about. They denied a lot of things. It was much. So I think if I had to put them in modern parlance, you would have the Pharisees who were very conservative and the Sadducees who, well, in a way they were super conservative because they didn't accept any of the prophets writings, but really they were the more liberal ones with the, well, these are all sort of suggestions and that kind of thing. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think though you make a good point though with the Pharisees being those who were more um, uh, trying their best uh, to be very dedicated to God, it's easy for us too who really desire to do things right and to honor God to fall into this trap of majoring in the minors, making the mm -hmm. external things the, that which is the most important. And, and we see that. I don't want to air a dirty laundry, but we see that in our LCMS circles on both I hate to say sides, but on, on both perspectives of the issue when it comes to things like worship or or uh, how to honor God with our actions, there's there's so many. It's like people are arguing with each other um, on on how to be the best Christian, and they kind of sometimes miss the point. 
Yeah. Yep. Well, we see here too that um, they when he talks about what defiles a person, he talks about it with the Pharisees in public. He talks about it with the crowds a little more deeper. And then, but by himself with his disciples, he goes into more detail. Mm-hmm. This seems to be the mode in which Jesus teaches, but but why do you think that is? I mean, why wouldn't Jesus, I guess, make it more clear to the Pharisees with this whole list and everything he gives the disciples? Why, why, does, why does Jesus teach this way? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know that we have, like, necessarily a, a distinct answer from Scripture. Um, so maybe this is is a little bit of speculation. There are a few things we can say, though. Um, one would be that, I mean, we do know that, for instance, the reason that Jesus told parables, right? He specifically told parables to maybe veil the the truth a little bit, right? And the and sometimes we might be like, well, why in the world would Jesus do something like that? Uh, and the answer was was basically because Jesus had a plan, and that plan wasn't done yet. Um, and the Pharisees had a part to play in that plan. Um, and, and so he, he's, he's not, he's not to the cross yet. Right. And so, and, um, Mark in particular is actually really great at this because Jesus will like tell basically everyone, don't tell people about what I've done. And then they go run off and do it anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, so the, the kind of like, um, there, there's sort of a, maybe a slower revelation than what maybe we would picture would be happening. But also, I think in some ways we can say, well, if you just think about the time that Jesus had, right? Like he, he part of his descending to become one of us is that he lived in time. So he, he just doesn't have enough time necessarily to teach literally everyone everything that he needs to teach them. And so he focuses his efforts um, and he focuses his efforts on his disciples um, and then trusts them and sends them out after Pentecost uh, to go and share these deeper things, right? So while that while it's true that at the time, right, that the Pharisees wouldn't necessarily have known what uh, Jesus told his disciples at the time, they would know eventually because eventually Mark wrote it and shared it, right? But mm-hmm. at the in the moment, Jesus only has you know we kind of traditionally say three years that he he's doing his ministry. And that's that's a pretty limited amount of time to try and convey, you know, kind of the the real miraculous truths of our salvation. Um, and so he, I, I think that part of it is he's focusing his efforts. I think it also testifies to the fact that salvation doesn't come from getting all the answers right. Sure. One thing I try to drive home with my catechumens and they're, they're as as kids, usually they're very focused on getting the answers right, getting the yep. hundred on the test and. And so I, I don't really even do tests that way. You know, it's like, no, it, it's not about making sure you know everything perfectly. Christ never mm-hmm. did that. He never mm-hmm. went around even correcting everyone's theology either. He he pointed them to the thing that matters, the truth. But there mm-hmm. are times when Jesus is very explicit about what is sinful and what is wicked and what we should avoid. And we see that list here. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the list because as I'm looking through it too, I'm thinking not only in their context, but in ours. And I said, and I still stand by it, that I think we can find ourselves on this list if we examine ourselves, uh, especially with things like envy and pride and foolishness. Mm-hmm. It's hard to avoid those things. Mm-hmm. But one thing I noticed is that the many of these things are not only 
something that comes from within us and not only something that continues today, but many of them are celebrated today. Sure. Um, not just like, well, you should avoid these things, but now there's really a whole new religion, maybe it's old, but a new civic religion around these things. And, and I, you know, let's look at them, right? So uh, sure. out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, and then we get sexual immorality. Certainly mm-hmm. a big topic for our, our society today and has been for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, long before the LGBTQ agenda, we had plenty of folks who had sexual relations outside of marriage or a rampant divorce or all kinds of things that treated God's gift of sexuality with disdain. But mm-hmm. today, but those would often be embarrassing, but today now sexual immorality in a variety of ways is celebrated. Mm-hmm. Theft. We think of the we think of riots. We think of people uh, uh, quiet quitting at their jobs. We think of people manipulating their employers to get the most money with the least amount of work. Theft, mm-hmm. murder, which is hatred and anger towards your brother. Adultery, obviously, coveting. Our entire economy is built on it. Coveting. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Wickedness, deceit, sensuality. I could keep on going. Pride. Um, you know. So we see these things not only being, I guess no longer recognized as vices, but now even being celebrated. How can mm-hmm. we as, as, as Christians go out into the world and proclaim the truth of Christ? I, I don't think it would make a lot of sense for us to go out in the same manner as Jesus and say, oh, you hypocrites, as much yeah. as we might want to. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, so part of it, obviously, is, is actually speaking the truth, right? Um, that the, the e- it, and and maybe I can say this. So we speak the truth in conjunction with living the truth, right? Um, so we we need to go out there and we need to strive to live lives, striving to follow the Ten Commandments, partially because that's going to make us look weird. Like, what do you mean you shouldn't get angry at at the person who just slapped you? Like, <laughs> right. of course you should, <laughs> right? Like that, that's what that's what the world thinks. Where, but then you got Jesus saying, "Yeah, don't slap him. Turn the other cheek." And it's like, "Ooh, that's gonna that." I mean, that's hard even for us Christians. Absolutely. Um, and, and and so, rec- but recognize that this is this is part of the reason that we have these. Is think of the impact of a person who has only lived in a in our world, right? In our world that is blatantly celebrating all of these things, and then you run across somebody who's not. Somebody who actually, you know, is is just only with their spouse, who who has kids that they care for and they, they love and who actually works hard at his job. Right. Even just that. Right. Like just imagine the impact of of, of working in your jobs and actually like trying to do your hardest, not necessarily because you're, you know, trying to get overtime or trying to get the next raise, but because that's just how you're supposed to do it. And and just the impact that people seeing that can have. And that is important. That's good. It's necessary because that kind of, kind of draw the attention, but then also you got to speak the truth. Um, and part of that clearly is speaking the law, right? Speaking, for instance, this list and be, well, the reason that I try to work hard is because, you know, God tells me that a man is worth his wages, but he also tells me that if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. So I try to work hard, right? I, I try to, really be worth the money that my employer is paying me. Right. Um, 
And so that's part of that, right? But also then speaking the truth of, and you know, I don't do it all the time. I fail sometimes. Right. And and telling the people who also fail sometimes too, right? Who need to hear this, that, and that's why Jesus came, right? That Jesus came because I fail. He comes because I don't follow this list, right? I try to, and even though I fail, Jesus forgives me for that. He died for it, and he died for you too, right? And so I, I think that that's one of the ways that we can, we got to both live and speak this truth. And really, if you don't have either one, if you're not doing both, um, it, it's probably just not going to be as effective. Well, you know, our text for this morning ends literally with Jesus's words, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And then, of course, that's when you say, this is the gospel of the Lord. And everybody's yeah, like, oh, right. really? I love it. So love um, it. maybe let's not leave the people there. You already touched on it a little bit, but uh, um, as we get closer to the end of the show, it'd probably be a good idea to talk just a little bit more about while Jesus is uh, very Wolfian here, he's giving out the law and it's full of severity. Let's not mm -hmm. leave the people with the law. Let's let them know how Jesus answers these things for them before we go. Yeah, so probably that the the wonderful thing about salvation, right, is that salvation does not come from within us, right? We own like wickedness is what comes from within us, but salvation is something that's coming from an outside. Salvation is something that God is putting into you. It's something that He's working inside of you. Um, I mean, in some ways, you can sort of think of what Jesus is doing and what the Holy Spirit is doing and what the Father has sent them to do is that they are storming the wicked fortress of your heart and taking you captive, right? Like they are coming to rescue you. And maybe that's a better way to say it, right? So you're almost like a prisoner in your own heart sometimes. And Jesus is not okay with that because he knows what that's like, <laughs> Uh, and so he's coming. He's coming to rescue you. And he did it. He succeeded. He invaded this wicked world and they killed him. And they thought they had won by doing that. And then he rose from the dead and proved that, no, he actually won the day. And then he does the exact same thing in your baptism, right? Kind of bringing back the baptismal imagery that this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's coming to you and he's rescuing you from your own wicked heart. And again, he's successful. He did it. He did it at your baptism. He does it when you believe the word that you hear. He does it when you receive the body and blood of our Lord in, in the sacrament of the altar, right? And he forgives you for all of the wickedness that you've done. He, he already paid for all of that. And then as we live our lives here in this world, he continues to forgive us and he continues to draw us closer to him until he returns either for the whole world or when he returns and comes for you and he'll bring you into um, his kingdom eternal. Well, I think that's a great place to end it on and that's where what we'll do. So I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Christopher Craig. He's the pastor of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Sylvan Grove, Kansas. Pastor, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Folks, tomorrow the discussion turns to discipline. That's actually pretty apropos in this last Free Text Friday of 2023. What does it mean to be disciplined as a follower of Christ? Far from the negative connotations of punishment or rigid control, biblical discipline is rooted in the overflow of God's love. 
So through the Holy Spirit, God patiently transforms believers into the image of Jesus, purifying them as vessels set apart for holy use. For many Christians, the call to obedience clashes with the cultural preference for you know, self-determination and self-comfort. So how do believers embrace discipline, not as oppression, but as an invitation to share in Christ's sufferings and holiness? What practices and postures enable divine discipline to shape human hearts? Well, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. So join us then. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. Thank you.